welcome to Dr. Michelle's Wild Warrior Podcast, the official podcast for all things body, brain, and soul. Dr. Michelle is a naturopathic physician, licensed acupuncturist, martial artist, yoga teacher, and aims to model optimal health. And now, here's Dr. Michelle. Welcome to Dr. Michelle's Wild Warrior Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Um, This episode I'm titled The Great Unveiling, and I have a few things to say about what is happening in the world today, which is a lot of um, various things that we all are well aware, and it's affecting many of us in our daily lives, and some more so than others, obviously. Um, It's sparking a lot of controversy and dispute and debate. And um, my concern is that we're really stepping away from kindness and compassion and healing. And we've stepped a lot more into dissonance and debate, as I mentioned, and just this polarization that is really unfortunately not resolving any of the problems. It's really just firing people up and creating more, uh, I think frustration and anger and resentment and divisiveness. And really, I feel like the things that we have in front of us right now could best be addressed if we work on uniting and seeing each other's perspective and, changing our viewpoint so that we can take charge of the things we have power over, which is a lot in my opinion. And so I am going to be unapologetic today. Sometimes I tend to want to make sure that I'm, you know, being gentle in my speech and not that I plan on being harsh, but I just want to talk about some topics rather directly instead of um, dancing around that with some niceties and, you know, um, I just want to be direct and I want to speak from the heart and speak truthfully. And, and I, as a physician, I've been really just pouring, pouring, pouring over the data and reading a lot of different studies. And, you know, obviously I see the news and I see the headlines and I understand, um, the caseloads and what's happening, but I also try and dive deeper into the scientific data as best I can, even though that becomes skewed sometimes too. And I find that it's kind of my job to make sure I stay on top of all that. And, um, so I, I definitely, you'll feel probably some of my opinions come through, but really I just like to present the information and my concerns for what we're doing with that information and some of the misguided things that have been happening. So, um, let's kind of start again. The, the reason I titled this podcast, the great unveiling is because I believe that, this virus in particular, this pandemic in particular, is essentially showing us the way. It's showing us the things we need to fix. It's highlighting the the, the broken parts of our society, the disease that we have underlying in our country in particular, in our, in our culture. I think we have um, a lot of underlying comorbidities that are a factor of many things that I will try and go into a little bit. Um, And I think that, you know, mentally and emotionally, we've all come up against some, some patterns that need to shift and will hopefully, uh, as I've mentioned, like move from divisiveness toward camaraderie and kind of a united force because, This is not us against a virus. What I think it is, I think the real underlying cause is us changing our health and changing that health of our planet as well so that we can move forward in a way that's sustainable and that's um, healthful and, you know, obviously is supportive for generations to come because our kids are the ones who are going to bear the brunt of so many of our decisions that we're making now. So that being said, uh, again, I feel like this virus is just kind of uncovering some of the underlying 
causes of disease, we can say, (laughs) that have been lingering and underneath the surface for a really long time. And, And this virus just kind of is highlighting those things. And I think a lot of them are changeable without, you know, drastic measures. I think a lot of those things are changeable just with some lifestyle and nutrition support. And that's what I do as a practitioner. I, as naturopaths, we, you know, our philosophy is rooted so deeply in treating the cause of disease rather than masking or just addressing symptoms. And I love that part of our philosophy. It's something that I come back to all the time when I'm working with patients. You know, this is why I ask them questions about their spirituality and about their sleep and about their relationships and their uh, emotional responses to things, um, what their body temperature runs on a daily basis, whether they're hot or cold or, you know, who they surround themselves with, what kinds of things create distress for them or harmony. And the big picture is really, really essential to understand kind of the underlying dis-ease as we like to call it. And so I think that the same is true on this, in this global kind of situation. And especially for our country, Uh, where we have not been faring so well, you know, there's a lot of finger pointing happening as to why. And sure, there's been some mistakes. I mean, I don't think anybody does emergencies and pandemics gracefully. Uh, Not to say that we shouldn't improve on that. I definitely think we can. But I also recognize that again, I think that our, the, the state of our health as a community, as a collective in our country, was already at this place of vulnerability. And again, I think, you know, COVID is is exposing dramatically. <laughs> and unfortunately, with a lot of loss of, um, you know, life and also loss of quality of life, for many people. And that is the part that we really can address and we need to address. Um, I won't go into the deep, dark (laughs) places of our health paradigm that I feel like are not serving us well, but obviously those are playing a, a pretty significant role in people being at their optimal health. But there are many things that people can do as individuals to change something about themselves to make them less vulnerable in the future and also to make the rest of us less, less vulnerable because, you know, everybody's touting masks and I understand, um, the logic in that. I I don't totally see all the data supporting it, but I've read a lot about the effectiveness and, um, you know, I won't go into my opinions about that. The, we in Oregon have no, you know, it's a mandate, so we have to wear masks in public. And I understand that the intention in that is good. And, um, you know, I am willing to follow the rules on that, obviously. And, of course, in my practice, I, I protect my patients at all costs. First, do no harm always and respect their needs and their wishes and their comfort level as well. But um, I think that there's many more things that we could be doing proactively to keep others from, you know, getting sick from us. And so I feel like just like with my patients, I want to empower them to be able to take charge of their health. And I joke with them that I don't go home with them at night. So, you know, um, they get homework from me because that's the way they're going to actually make things better for themselves is by doing the daily kind of activities and support of my basic treatment guidelines, you know, to get their, their body at its utmost health on a regular basis and consistently over time. And I believe that there's plenty of opportunity to do that. And that by each of us taking charge of our own health in the best ways we can, then we minimize the risk to everyone else because we're less vulnerable. We are less likely to be spreading around a contagion because, you know, we're just less vulnerable to getting it and having sequelae and fallout from it or, you know, dying from it. So, um, before I dive in, you know, since I mentioned death, I think that's also an issue where 
we as Americans um, have so much fear and apprehension for good reason. I understand we all want to be alive. We don't want to lose somebody that we love. Um, you know, personally, I've been through the death of both of my parents from chronic cancer, um, you know, disease and, uh, witnessed some beautiful things throughout that process. And, and perhaps that sounds strange, but if you've witnessed death and the process of death, um, even though it's not, you know, it's sad and, and tragic and it's a loss, um, there's also some huge spiritual gifts and emotional gifts that can happen through the process. And so I was very fortunate to be able to, uh, assist my parents, if you can call it that, and just be by their side. And, and really they taught me, um, about this cycle of life that we are all inevitably engaged in. And just being alive means that death is always there. And I don't use that as a scare tactic or as, you know, dark, (laughs) although some people may see it that way. It's, it's inescapable and it's a part of life. And, and just like any other cycles of life that we are a part of, you know, sleep, wake, or, you know, um, rest, digest, or any of the other cycles that we are, or we are in, you know, living, pretending that death isn't there is, I think, not fully living because when you start to recognize that, you know, things are kind of fleeting and that every moment that we have is a gift, then you shift, you know, you shift your perspective, you shift your gumption for life. And I find that a true blessing. It also allows us to really be more engaged and more present and more compassionate. And those are all qualities that we, gosh, we desperately need to embrace each other with that. Um, right now, if, if not more than ever. So, uh, so I think that shifting our relationship with death and whatever that looks like for you individually or in your family or in, you know, with your religious practices or your spiritual practices, or if you don't have any of those things, like figuring out ways to make some peace with the fact that, you know, we're all going to die someday and that's okay. And that's part of living and, and can really invoke this zest for life that I think we all deserve to have. And it can also motivate us to be much more healthful and, you know, take charge of our health so that, you know, because if you recognize that you have this potential to live until, I don't know, 80, 90 years old, potentially. Um, I, for one, want to go out, you know, feeling great. <laughs> like, um, I, I think I've mentioned this before, but Dr. Andrew Weil calls it, or I don't know if he dubbed this phrase, but I heard him speak about it one time and he calls it, um, compressed morbidity. And I really appreciate that expression. It's like, you know, live fully, healthfully in a way that suits you as a human being and allows you to offer your gifts to the world and to experience and grow and learn and, and all of these things be mobile and, um, creative and, you know, have thriving relationships up until the minute that you are gone. And that means limiting chronic disease. That means improving your physical fitness and, you know, and your health overall so that you can do all those things. And there are plenty of ways to improve upon your health every single day. And that's what I'm here to really address today. So, um, to circle back to COVID and this kind of daunting, you know, uh, epidemic that we have hanging over us. And there's, you know, so much fear, (laughs) Uh, understandably in a lot of ways, I do think now, you know, at the beginning of it all, we were all so unsure and there was a lot of unknowns and there were a lot of, Uh, factors that we didn't understand. And now we've had some time. We've, um, there's been a lot of scientific study. There's been a lot of case studies. There's been countries doing different things than other countries. And so there's data out there to learn from. 
And I think there's this place of like, yes, there's a lot of cases, but we are starting to recognize that, you know, overall many hospitalizations are decreasing and mortality is slowly decreasing over time. I'm not saying it's gone, but, um, you know, things are shifting and we have this better understanding of who is really at risk. And I see a lot of headlines that kind of counter some of those things that we do know through the data. And those are startling and scary. But, you know, a lot of times when you read into them, not read into them, but read into what they're quoting and look at the research studies that they're uh, referencing, a lot of times that information is not it's not nearly what the headline is, you know, scaring you into believing. (laughs) So let's get back to risk factors. The biggest ones that we know of right now, and these have consistently kind of been um, the case as far as comorbidities go, obviously we know it's affecting the elderly more intensely. And I think that some of these comorbidities are actually a big factor in that, not just age itself. But the top three that I'd like to briefly speak about are obesity, number one, and that's probably what I'm going to spend the most time on, um, hypertension, high blood pressure and uh, heart disease. And, you know, there's others that put you at higher risk for sure, but those are kind of the big three and obesity is, I've been researching that more. And that's the one that is so interesting to me because it is such a huge prevalence in our country in particular. And, um, I mean, for example, and please, I am going to be apologetic about this or at least preemptive about this, but no way, shape or form would I ever body shame anybody. That is not what this is about. This is about empowerment. And we all know that being at an ideal weight ultimately brings you better health. And that doesn't mean, you know, you have to drop 200 pounds or whatever that is, but it means moving toward, you know, being in an optimal health for your, for your body type. And that looks different for different people. So that's just my one caveat because I want you to know that I, you know, respect where people are in their lives. And I know things are challenging to change in lifestyle and nutrition. I work with a lot of people of different weights and different sizes and, um, you know, different limitations on that, um, different histories as far as eating disorders and, you know, physical limitations as far as exercise is concerned. So I have compassion for all of those extremes. So please don't hear that um, I'm, you know, trying to say that you have to be a certain way or whatever. Um, but I want you to be your best self. And and that's what we can all work toward. It's not... Um, it's always the goal. It's always the journey. And that's constantly available to us. So improvement is always there. I mean, yeah, we can change things every single day about what we do on in our daily routine. And I just encourage you to think about that. So circling back to obesity, it, I think our country is the most obese in the world. I didn't verify that data, but I've heard that. And I'm guessing that we're at least in the very top, top notches of that. And that's been a big change in the last 50 years. You know, if you go on the CDC site for, um, obesity rates and you start back when they first started tracking, which I think was in the seventies, maybe the eighties, there's, you know, color coded charts of the United States and which States were, um, dealing with more obesity than others. And it's amazing. You can watch them from year to year and the color patterns that change over that time is just, it's dramatic and it's heartbreaking because we know the health implications that come along with obesity. And now more than ever, it's one of the biggest risk factors with COVID. And so, um, you know, it's really interesting to think about the fact that adipose tissue, fat tissue in our body literally becomes its own endocrine organ. It starts secreting different hormones and, um, you know, is responsible for big shifts in our hormone balance. And that also obviously is connected to our insulin levels and our blood sugar levels. And, 
you know, our kidney function, our heart function. So the ramification and, and uh, mental health actually too, you know, it's a high risk, higher risk for Alzheimer's too, when we have blood sugar dysregulation, which happens with obesity often. So um, there's kind of this myriad of, of health conditions that manifest and are, we are, one is vulnerable to if they're not at an optimal body weight or healthier body weight. And, and COVID is hugely affecting folks that are obese. And so that is something that we as a country, I mean, I don't know why people aren't shouting from the rooftops about this. Like, why are we not getting people eating better? Um, why are we not encouraging exercise and activity? I mean, people keep joking about the COVID-15 or whatever, the, you know, weight gain. Cause yeah, there's been some stress. People have been home. Um, there's fear, there's unknown, but it doesn't have to be that way. There's so many options for making sure that you're eating good food and that you're keeping your body moving. Um, you don't have to necessarily be able to go to the gym to be able to take care of your physical health. So, you know, here I'm, I live in a fortunate place. I chose to live here for that many of these reasons, but I can hit the trails whenever I want. And even when things were kind of shut down, we were, you know, I was still able to get outside and move my body. And, um, that was always a priority. It always has been for me, but it, it was especially during this time because I knew the ramifications of being, you know, in front of the TV more and kind of watching the news and working less. And, um, my kids were home. So, you know, I wasn't schlepping them around and, um, doing activities with them. And so, um, I knew that I kind of had to be like, uh, combative almost to that, to that, um, the fact that we were locked down, but, you know, I had weights, I had things I could do and I could jump rope on my back deck and, you know, uh, hit the trails whenever I could. And, and I've talked to a lot of my patients who've been walking more than ever and they are, they're really enjoying it. You know, they're really happy to be outside and moving their bodies in nature. And I think that's, you know, one of the best things we can do. Mm. But, um, why aren't we talking about it? Why aren't we talking about this? You know, I saw this, uh, I think it was a little like coupon or something that was going around on Facebook that was in Louisiana, which I'm, my family's from new Orleans and dear loved ones down there. And they've been hit pretty hard in the city because everything was kind of right after Mardi Gras. But um, there was a coupon or something for like, get, come get your COVID test. And then you get a free meal at McDonald's afterward. And, and that is, you know, I mean, you could think of it as humorous, but it's so upsetting to me to think about that. Uh, wh why would we be looking at a disease that we know one of the biggest risk factors for it is obesity. And we're encouraging people to eat you know, terribly. And I don't, I, that's just incomprehensible to me and, and, and definitely upsetting, like I said. Um, and again, I'm, it's not about blame. It's more just like, let's educate the population. And that's what I feel like kind of my mission is to help people understand what kind of risk factors they have. And, those are changeable. I know it's daunting to think like, Oh, I've got, you know, an extra 75 pounds on or whatever. And how can I change that overnight? Well, you can't, but you can change some things overnight. You can get a good night's sleep. You can change some patterns in your health. You can drink more water. You can take Epsom salt baths, you know, that help detox. You can, um, decide to start cooking for yourself. And there's ways to do that on a low budget even. And so it's not just financially limited. I, I think this kind of thing is available. I've seen like small rural towns that have decided to, you know, um, do like community gardens and, uh, just get people involved in eating healthier, um, because they recognize that their town is more at risk for various health conditions. Uh, I saw, you know, one example of that before COVID, but, um, anyway, I just think that there's a lot of evidence supporting the fact that obesity is a big risk factor. And that's something that we have the chance to change culturally, 
societally and individually. And I really um, hope that we can see that. So uh, there was an article that I'm going to reference about. um, uh, Let's see if this is the one I want to read about real quick. Hold on one second. Yeah, so just some of the immune responses that can happen from obesity uh, when we have an increased BMI. Uh, well, one study, this was in the American Journal of Physiology and Endocrinology from July of this year, and they were looking at obesity and COVID, and they connected an increased BMI, body mass index, um, increased the need for ventilation, and also increased the severity of cases. And then also in the vent, um, you know, that is like what 80% or something of people die if they're put on a ventilator, um, not because it's the cause necessarily, but because the severity is so bad. So that's a really, you know, a place you don't want to be. And increased BMI also directly correlates to increased risk of hospitalization from COVID. And so, and to circle back to kind of what I was talking about, about adipose tissue and the endocrine system, um, here's a quote from the article. In recent years, as the role of adipose tissue as a distinct endocrine organ is being elucidated, obesity has been considered an independent risk factor for increased susceptibility to infections, sepsis, and higher mortality. And they're looking at overall infection, not just COVID, obviously, because they were talking about over the years, but Essentially what happens is we have this baseline of inflammation and um, immune kind of malfunction. I I don't like to say like boost the immune system because sometimes uh, the immune system is overactive, you know, so we don't want that either. We want kind of a balanced immune function and optimal immune function. So basically... um, just at baseline, people with, you know, higher body mass indexes have more propensity for what's called the cytokine storm, which is essentially our immune system almost overacting when it's exposed to COVID. Uh, they, they have more risk of inflammatory markers coming up during that time, which can increase infiltrates in the lungs. It can also, it affects the vasculature. So we know with this virus in particular, it's creating this hypoxia, it's creating problems in the lungs and, um, and also with the red blood cells. And so we've been, you know, you've seen reports probably of damage to fingers and toes and the kidneys. And that's because it's affecting the vasculature in those, um, organs where, you know, things are very vulnerable. And so, um, with, with obesity, that, that vascular effect is already, uh, slightly at risk because of the under underlying inflammation. So then you add this viral response and, you know, it's kind of a recipe for some real damage, if not, um, mortality, which is, you know, totally unfortunate. Um, Coupled with obesity, oftentimes we see heart disease and or hypertension, and those are the other two risk factors. So then we're talking about literally all three risk factors. And in our country, we have so many people on medications for heart disease and, you know, um, usually on a statin of some sort because their cholesterol's out of whack and or not optimal and, um, hypertension medications. And both of those can increase what's called ACE2 receptors. You've probably heard that referenced in the media and in the news and ACE2 receptors are where this virus likes to bind. And, you know, that's kind of its, its gateway into our system. And so if we have increased ACE2 receptors because we've been on an ACE2 inhibitor, then, you know, the virus basically has more doors to come in <laughs> to our home and uh, bind to our cells and create damage there. And so um, just, you know, those three factors are, are often come together, obesity, hypertension, and heart disease. And so the medications themselves can make people more at risk also. And so we've got this kind of perfect storm for, um, a disease that again, like I said, is kind of unveiling these underlying health conditions that we have in our country and that we're not addressing. And I just, 
don't understand it. I don't understand why, um, why we aren't talking about nutrition. Why are we not talking about what kinds of things people should be eating? Why are we not talking about good sleep and its effect on the immune system and on our circadian rhythm and our blood sugar levels? You know, why are we not talking about hydrating and making sure people are drinking water instead of soda? You know, I heard on another podcast, he was talking about a similar kind of thing. And, and he said, look, you know, people always say it's expensive to eat healthfully. Well, it can be a little more expensive for sure, but you can grow your own food. His advice was, you know, put down the soda and just drink some water. That's cheaper. And I think that's true. There's some, there's some situations where this doesn't have to be a huge overhaul. It's like, just make one choice over another. And, um, I find that, you know, we have, like I said, we have so much polarization and the shaming that's happening in our society. Like if you don't do it my way or the way that like the main narrative is saying, then you're either a hater or you want my grandma dead or you're whatever political camp, you know, that somebody wants to put you in. And that's, that's not helpful, first of all. And secondly, you know, we need to take politics out of this situation and really just look at what's happening to the health of our society and to fellow human beings. I mean, let's be compassionate about that. Just, um, and, and again, like let's take charge of the things we have control over in our daily life. And that number one is what we put into our bodies, you know, I'm not scared of the virus. I'm scared of what's happening to our planet, what's happening to relationships, and, you know, ultimately what's happening to our social connections with each other and life on this earth. That's what scares me. And I, it's not acceptable the way people are treating each other. It's just not. Yeah, I get on my high horse and fired up in my soapbox or whatever about what I believe in. And I disagree with a lot of things that are out there, even a lot of the mainstream narrative that's happening right now. Um, and I'm a doctor, you know, so I'm not stupid because I disagree with some of the things that are being touted as, as the right way to go. I've researched it. I've looked at it. I've read it. I disagree with it. That's it. You know, it's not a political um, position. It's not uh, because I want to be controversial. It's because what I've seen in my practice is, you know, people have to shift their whole health to make things better. If somebody comes in with a sprained ankle for example, and they want to come and see me to get treated and to get it diagnosed potentially or to have acupuncture for pain, I'm also going to ask them about how they're sleeping because they're not going to heal very well if they're not sleeping well. I'm also going to recommend that they change the way they're eating if it's not ideal for their body. You know, I'm not going to just turn a blind eye to the fact that they're drinking, you know, 10 sodas a day and eating like sugar and fried food. And that's it. Like that's going to be a part of my conversation because the ankle is going to heal way faster if they get healthier. And then I'm going to talk to them about strength. Like how can we get you mobile and moving and exercising in a way that potentially prevents you know, injuries such as those. So it's not about, um, you know, putting people down like that. First of all, we all know that doesn't work, right? Like if you've ever had a coach in your life, did it help if he just like berated you or she berated you or guilted you or shamed you? No, like not at all. Yes. You got to know about some things you need to improve. That's what a good coach does for sure. But you also need somebody to point out the things that are working and that you're talented at and encourage you on that front as well. And so I think that it's just, it's upsetting to me to watch what is happening on social media and on the news that is so us against you, us against them, like just this, you know, 
uh, like I've mentioned a couple times already, just very divisive places. And again, it's just not helping anything to shame people or to guilt people or to say that they're selfish because they choose one thing or another. Um, you know, I, there's a lot of data that's confusing and it's ambiguous. And, uh, I don't always agree with what comes from the top down just because one person is an expert, quote unquote. Um, I like to listen to other experts too and hear what they have to say and not assume that they're, you know, dumb or crazy or whatever, because their religious beliefs are different than mine or because their, um, cultural beliefs are different than mine or because they, you know, studied, I don't know, um, hand surgery versus, you know, heart surgery. I mean, there's a lot of really good practitioners in the world. And I think it's nice to kind of, uh, do the research and look at the literature and understand, you know, where things are. I'll give you an example. I I saw a headline posted, I'm sure it was on Facebook or something, uh, the other day. And the headline was, um, something to the effect that, you know, kids are, uh, more infective than we thought and more spreading, you know, spreading the disease more than we thought. And so I was like, huh, I want to, I want to read more about that. I have three kids. I am a practitioner of a lot of kids and I want to understand, you know, what is the real risk? Uh, we haven't really seen that in the numbers, you know, yes, there's some cases in kids, but their, their fallout is pretty limited and low. So, I knew that. And I, thankfully their mortality is very, very low. So that's really good news. But, um, you know, I was curious. So I looked at the two, uh, studies that they referenced in this article. It was a news article. And then there were two, um, scientific studies referenced. And one of them was JAMA journal of American medical association. And that study showed that, um, nasopharynx samples. So like basically swabs of kids five and under, um, had higher viral counts than older people, kids or adults. And, um, but nowhere did it say that that translated into them being more infective or that they've seen that, you know, uh, there've been higher cases because of kids under five. So, you know, it was distorted information, essentially, like, yes, they might have a higher viral load, but that doesn't mean that they're that doesn't extract, we can't extrapolate from that statement and say, well, they're definitely transmitting more. No, we don't know that. We just know that they have higher virus levels in their nose when they're five and under. That's all that study demonstrated, which is fair information. And we need to look at it and we need to consider it. Um, but you know, the fear-based headline of this article definitely was touting more than that and, and insinuating more than that, I should say. And then the other article that they referenced was, uh, a preprint article, not peer reviewed from Italy. And that study, uh, the final part of it was basically saying that kids, uh, are at higher, are, are more likely to spread, COVID to immediate family members in close quarters, which, you know, any parent knows that like, once you have a kid, you get sick a lot, um, in those first few years because they are kind of little, you know, um, transmitters, Petri dishes, one can say. And so uh, that's not groundbreaking information. Yeah, of course they're going to transmit. In fact, when I read that my brain went to, well, that's, kind of an argument against sheltering in place because, or at least, you know, staying enclosed in your home. Um, and that doesn't mean not social distancing, but I, I, I find that that's an interesting thing because it's showing us like, maybe we need to get outdoors a little bit more. Maybe we need to open the windows. Maybe we need to, you know, move around and not be in such close quarters all the time with, with the same people. So, so neither of those articles, were saying, oh, kids are big transmitters. You know, they were saying what they said, which I just, you know, explained to you. So again, though, when you read that headline in the, in the news or on, in an article, a news article, um, it sounds shocking and it sounds like, oh man, have we been wrong all this time? And all of a sudden, um, 
So, you know, I won't go into what I think about schools. I, I think that, well, I will just say this. It's one of the most challenging situations. And I am, I have total respect for everybody who's making decisions around schools. And I think it's got to be one of the hardest things that anybody's ever faced. And I hope that public school system survives this because we need them. And I respect all the teachers out there that are trying to make this work for our children. So that's my only caveat on schools. Um, and yeah, so I think what I'm seeing, it seems to me that people are again, just kind of drowning in their fear. And understandably, I get it. It, it, It's scary. It's mysterious. But this isn't new. I mean, we call this a novel virus. Well, coronaviruses have been around for a while. We have viruses around us and in us, like so many that we can't even think about, right? Our brains can't even compute the volume of viruses in our, in our bodies, in the air. So it's, it's not, it's not new. If viruses wanted us dead, we'd be dead long ago. Um, they are a part of our genetic makeup. They're a part of how we evolve. They are a part of shifting things in, in the world. Um, they're a part of our gut, you know, and our virome and how we absorb. Um, so this isn't new and it's not going away, which in that, I mean, we're going to have other, you know, viruses that come through or other types of infectious agents that show us again, where are we weak? I watched a Jane Goodall thing, um, a little video blurb that she had a couple, like two months ago or something. And, you know, her point was, look what we're doing to the earth. We're kind of unearthing literally all of these, uh, infectious agents that are, are telling us some information You know, they're relaying information. This is my thought based on what she said, but I feel like they are shining some light on the places where our systems are broken. And one of those systems is what we're doing to the planet, you know, and, um, we're, we are not in a sustainable place right now. And the only way we can heal and make this, less likely to happen again in this, in this severity that, that it has is by kind of uprooting all our systems that have been in place and changing the way we do things, you know, and there's, I'm seeing it. It's great. People are growing their own food. People are shopping at the farmer's markets, uh, Folks are coming together in communities to figure out how to educate their children in addition to the virtual learning that we have available to us. Um, People are coming together, and that's what brings me some hope, you know, for the future here. Instead of just waiting, sitting back, waiting in fear for somebody to tell you how to live your life. I will mention the vaccine, and I know that's super controversial, and uh, even just talking about vaccines is risky these days, which I don't even understand why, because um, any other medication, you know, we would all want safety trials, we would all want peer-reviewed, we would all want uh, double-blind studies, we would want time under the belt, you know, as it always has been when we do studies on medications. And so I don't understand why there's this dogmatic concept of, you know, you're either an anti-vaxxer or you're pro-vaxxer and there's nothing in between. And I don't agree with that. I'm sorry, but I don't. I think that a safe vaccine is really, really an important thing. And, um, you know, there's so many shortcuts happening right now because this is under the guise of emergency use authority. And so, um, you know, the, the safety trial for one company was three months and it was on 45 people. And there were people who had fallout from it in that group. And that's not a very promising, you know, safety trial. And now it's already in phase three and that's the majority of vaccines can take, you know, 10 plus years, sometimes 20 
to come to through safety trials and um, efficacy trials and to make sure that there's no fallout, you know, in long-term use. And that's a good thing. I mean, we really want to make sure, especially if we're injecting it into people like that, this is safe. I mean, you wouldn't, (laughs) you wouldn't hop on like a zip line that failed, even say there were 45 uses of it and it failed like even twice. And I think that some of the, um, side effects that we're seeing and maybe even hospitalizations in that first round of phase one was more than that. So I'm being generous, (laughs) but I mean, I wouldn't be cool with hopping on a zip line that I knew had failed, you know, multiple times. Um, I mean, that's a silly example, but you know, it's also the real deal. And, you know, I, we can't just wait around for a vaccine. If, if there's a safe one, that's efficacious, then that's one thing to consider, but we wouldn't know that for at least 10 years. So are we all planning on staying hold up for 10 years? Or I I don't even understand that. Like I can't wrap my brain around it when there's other options available to us, you know, making sure your vitamin D is adequate, getting outside in the sun, moving your body, exercising, decreasing your, your weight. If you're overweight, eating healthful foods, those are all tried and true. They're not some like, you know, I joke that I'm a witch doctor just because it's fun, but I'm not, I'm a doctor and I just know herbs and I, um, you know, study energetic medicine through Chinese medicine, which is different, but you know, it's all still rooted in science and, uh, those are tried and true that we know they benefit the immune system. We know that they benefit our health overall. We know that they decrease our body weight when we, eat, when we eat healthfully and, um, nutrition, you know, nutritious foods that are nourishing. And when we sleep well, and when we engage in laughter and when we have physical contact and when we love people and, um, have healthy relationships and, decrease our trauma and, or work on our trauma if we have it, uh, which, you know, most of us do in some way. So there's all these things that we can do. And I'm not seeing that in the news. I'm not seeing any of that stuff. I don't understand why, why is that controversial to take care of our bodies? You know, I don't, I don't understand. And so that's what I'm here to talk about today or to, you know, finish up talking about here in a second is just what you can do. What, and, and I feel like we all have an obligation to do that, you know? So, um, I, I don't, I mean, this whole, like, there's so much controversy about what medications might work and what, uh, and I, I have not been on the front lines. I can't say what happens when people are bad sick from COVID. I, I've read about it and I've researched it, but I haven't, thankfully, none of my patients have had COVID um, that I've seen in person. So I'm definitely not a frontline doctor. And so I have huge compassion and understanding for the challenges of, of that and respect for what they're doing. Um, I, but my whole type of practice is based on preventive medicine. And so if I can keep my patients healthier and, you know, living their lives in a way that feels good to them and where they can thrive and their families can thrive, then that's really the goal. And I feel like we all have that available to us even now, even with the restrictions that are happening, you know, you have the capability to get outside and move your body and breathe and sleep and choose good foods and love up on your, on your family and your friends and your lovers and, um, your dogs and, you know, whoever's around you. So I just, I encourage you, I encourage you to live your life. Please don't live in fear, you know, find the love within you that allows you to shine brightly and be who you are. Share your gifts with us. We need it more than ever right now. Um, Get some sleep every single night. Take deep breaths, long, slow breaths, long exhales and uh, nourish your body with healthy foods. Get outside in the sunshine. Make sure you're getting adequate vitamin D, vitamin C, the basic nutrition that we need to live every single day. Um, 
please be social. Please, please, please. The psychological effects and the emotional effects of this, you know, lockdown and the stressors that a lot of people have been enduring are just unfathomable. And so we are social beings. We need people. So figure out ways that feel comfortable to you to make that happen. And I encourage you to um, have a critical eye, you know, look at things outside the box a little bit and um, try not to get caught up in one narrative, one, one way of looking at things. So yes, we need some guidance. Yes, we, we have experts around us all the time. But, um, you know, think also with your intelligent brain and make sure that you are making choices that are best for you and your family and your community. And, um, you know, I feel like living in fear is not, not going to serve you well. And so whatever you can do to work on quelling that fear and, um, you know, minimizing your risks by taking charge of your own health, because that is in your power right this minute, today, now. And I encourage you to, to do that. So, um, and start talking to people about it, you know, like there are a lot of things you can change. You can change heart disease. I see it happen all the time. I work with patients, you know, with heart conditions and, um, I work with patients who've had hypertension and come in on all kinds of medications. And then, you know, eventually they don't have to be on them anymore. I've worked with people who've had struggles with their weight for a long time and they work on things and they get to a healthier place. Um, it's totally possible. And I see people do it all the time. So let's do it. Let's change things. Let's be a healthier nation and shift this so that you know, we're at less risk of, for each other by being our healthiest self. That's the actual answer here. There is a cure. The cure is to be your healthiest self. It doesn't mean that you won't succumb to the virus. You might get sick, but it does mean that you're going to fare a lot better in most situations. And that's huge for you, for your family, and for all of us that need you here. So, um, if you have questions, commentary, I always welcome them. And I'm sending this out always with love, 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 love to all of you. And I encourage you to just make one change today that you know will benefit your health. Decide on what that is, whether it's 10 minutes of deep breaths um, or long, slow breaths. If it's, you know, going to bed a little bit earlier or choosing not to have some dessert tonight because you just don't really need it. Um, or drinking more water or moving your body in a different way. Any of those, choose one, just choose one and make it a week habit and see how it goes for a week and, and see if it stays for longer than that. Again, lots of love to all of you. Be your best self, be healthy, stay strong, and I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Dr. Michelle's Wild Warrior Podcast. If you enjoy the show, please like, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information on Dr. Michelle, please visit drmichellem.com and follow her on Instagram at ethereal underscore fighter.